coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy hump day to you. We have talked so much Cop City in the last two days that I'm going to give you a reprieve. Well, a little bit. We do have a press conference from the uh, Cop City Vote press conference that was held this morning. We'll give you some of that audio and tell you what their plans are and a past referendum that they are looking at as the example that can lead them to stopping the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility being slated to be built anyway in Southwest DeKalb. The funding passing earlier this week, well, in the wee morning hours yesterday, actually. First thing I want to talk about today, though, is yet another entry into the GOP presidential primary field. And in general, I would say that the more folks that enter the race, the more likely it is that Donald Trump again becomes the nominee, because this is exactly what happened in 2016. He was not the most qualified candidate. He was not, by any stretch of the imagination, the ideal choice for the majority of Republican voters in 2016. That's right. He never outright won a state by a 50% or better vote total until it was just him and John Kasich on the ballot towards the end. But because there were so many traditional, we'll call them, traditional candidates running with the one not traditional candidate grabbing all the headlines, the attention, had us all gasping (laughs) a plum in shock at the things coming out of his mouth that not enough people were actually buying into except for the fact that he was running against like 14 other candidates. So they were splitting up the remnants of the sane electorate within the GOP while he cornered the absolute batch crazy folk. And guess what? 30, 35, 40% of the GOP base at the time actually thought, huh, let's go with batch because... Traditional hasn't been working for us. And remember, it was a fait accompli that Hillary Clinton was just going to run away with this thing no matter who the candidate was. So, in general, it's shaping up to look like a repeat of 2016. Except Donald Trump now, having served in the office for four disastrous years, now has, God, dare I say it, some credibility? Has he won some people over that maybe he hadn't won over before? I actually think we're setting ourselves up in the exact same scenario. There are just enough crazies on the right who are willing to give that guy another term. But notice, by the way, a lot of folks who worked with and for him closely alongside him are now running against him. DeSantis is his primary challenger, right? Trump was all over that, endorsing him for governor. Nikki Haley was his ambassador to the United Nations. Chris Christie was one of his closest advisors. Three of his closest supporters and those he supported are now running against him. And none of them are getting any traction. 
Well, it's a little too early to talk about Chris Christie, except I'm going to talk about Chris Christie because <clears throat> I actually think he's an X factor here. Like, is his entry into the race a legitimate attempt to win the nomination or is Chris Christie the same guy that we saw for the last, I'd say, three years or so on This Week with George Stephanopoulos or whoever was filling in for George on ABC? Is he the same Chris Christie that was a lot like Lindsey Graham on January 6th? That's it. I'm out. Count me out. I'm through. Chris Christie has kind of been through with Donald Trump since before January 6th, actually. Is he just realizing that this country cannot survive another Donald Trump presidency and he's just going to fall on the grenade for us? I say this because I feel as if Chris Christie and Donald Trump are, and, and DeSantis to some extent, are sort of cut from the same cloth. And I don't mean that as like the stout white guy cloth, although all three of them seem to be eating good. No, I mean that brash, snarky, tough-talking, own-the-libs, zinger-type character that maybe the insertion of a Chris Christie sort of douses a little bit of the Trump fire. And look, Chris Christie coming out the gate is aiming all that he has at Donald Trump and the Trump family right away. A lonely, self-consumed, self-serving mirror hog <laughs> is not a leader. Well, let me be clear, in case I have not been already. <laughs> the person I am talking about who is obsessed with the mirror who never admits a mistake, who never admits a fault, and who always finds someone else and something else to blame for whatever goes wrong, but finds every reason to take credit for anything that goes right, mm -hmm. is Donald Trump. And if we don't have that conversation with you, we don't deserve to ask for your vote, we don't deserve the mantle of leadership. We don't deserve to have you think of us as people worthy of leadership. Chris Christie sounds sharper in his criticism of Donald Trump than any Republican. And a lot of Democrats, if we're being honest, I mean, I was watching some of the sound bites from the Chris Christie uh, announcement or the rollout that I'm like, man, if this guy and I didn't disagree on policy, uh, he'd be a damn good candidate. But Chris Christie knows that the GOP can't continue rolling with Trumpism. We keep losing and losing and losing. And... The fact of the matter is the reason we're losing is because Donald Trump has put himself before everybody else. He's not wrong. And one thing I can appreciate about Chris Christie's mindset here is 
you can't be in the Republican Party going after the whole Hunter Biden, Biden family syndicate, while not saying a word about Jared and Ivanka raking in the cash from Saudi Arabia from that same rollout. The grift from this family is breathtaking. It's breathtaking. Jared Kushner and Ivanka Kushner walk out of the White House and months later get $2 billion from the Saudis. $2 billion from the Saudis. You think it's because he's some kind of investing genius? Or do you think it's because he was sitting next to the President of the United States for four years doing favors for the Saudis? That's your money. That's your money he stole. And gave it to his family. You know what that makes us? A banana republic. He eviscerates Trump on foreign policy. Here's what he says about Ukraine. Er, and Putin's Russia. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say Donald Trump could settle it in 24 hours. Let me tell you how he would. He'd give Ukraine to Russia. And he said it. He said it on television. He said it at CNN and he said, look, Russia's going to wind up with Ukraine anyway, so what's the difference? That's how he'd settle it in 24 hours. He calls Zelensky and say, hey, guess what? Time to raise the Russian flag up on the pole. We're out of here. He went after Donald Trump on spending. He stood on the stage in New Hampshire and said he was going to balance the budget in four years. And he left with the biggest deficit of any president in American history. Y'all, these are all Democrat talking points. (laughs) These are all talking points that a Biden-Harris campaign would be running with. And it's Chris Christie giving it to him. This is delicious. But again, my theory is, and I can't decide which is, is Chris Christie a legitimate threat to Donald Trump? Because Chris Christie is, in my mind, a smarter, sharper version of Donald Trump, but without the MAGA cult following. But those zingers, those words, could could that sort of sharpness be, first of all, what steals the thunder from Ron DeSantis because DeSantis doesn't have that. He just doesn't. It's not even close. They're of the same cloth, but DeSantis is not there yet. DeSantis is just a smug prick. Chris Christie's a smug prick who kind of knows what he's talking about. So does the Chris Christie campaign for the nomination steal DeSantis' thunder, or does it pull from Donald Trump's numbers enough to give DeSantis the opening he needs. I can't decide which is which. I just know now that as entertaining as we thought the 2024 GOP primary season was going to be, it just got that much better. I mean, these are, these are characters that Hollywood writers rooms, well, they're on strike, couldn't come up with any better than what reality gives us. And I happen to think somewhere in a small circle of Christy DeSantis, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, anybody else? Nah, nah, that's it. Somewhere in that in that small circle, there's a ticket that could come together that might actually work, which is a warning shot for Democrats. Not, not, that, not that the Biden presidency hasn't been somewhat of a success. 
when you look at all the economic indicators, well, you don't even have to look at the economic indicators. Look at what the GOP is railing on right now. They're not railing on jobs. They're not railing on gas prices. They're not railing on inflation. They're not, ra- they're not railing on the economy. And the economy is always the number one thing on the voters' minds, right? They're not railing on that at all. No. They're, they're fighting this, this war against wokeism. They, don't, they can't describe it. They can't define it, but they're, they're battling it. They're taking on the transgender, the, the less than 1% of the American population. That's what they're taking on. They're not taking on the economy. The Biden-Harris re-election strategy could be a lot of talking about the economy in real terms, but could also be lifting a lot of what Chris Christie just said when he announced his campaign for presidency. Fascinating stuff, right? Anyway, more on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Wednesday. This story just dropping about an hour ago on the AJC.com's website. At the AJC.com. Tia Mitchell reporting. <laughs> Y'all, this is a little surprising. You know, last week, the arrest of the three volunteers for the Atlanta Solidarity Fund kind of drew some, what? Some, huh? And a lot of, wait. Y'all took a SWAT team in there for this? Even the mostly silent senators from the state of Georgia, Senator John Ossoff, Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock, who had said nothing about the Cop City movement, pro or con, decided to take to Twitter and say, uh, this is a bad look. The arrest warrants for the activists arrested references a Homeland Security designation that doesn't actually exist. What? Joining us to discuss this like recent re- uh, revelation is former state federal prosecutor Alex Joseph. Alex, thanks again for joining the show. So I literally just sent you this, this article just to get your reaction. And what are your immediate thoughts? Um, well, I'm excited to see it, um, that they're saying that um, sorry, <clears throat> excuse me. They're saying that the, um, the group you, and you, you know, this is breaking news. So you have to right. correct me if I'm wrong. They're sure. saying that the group doesn't qualify as domestic terrorism. Is that what you're reading? Essentially. And it, it, it that, that the department of Homeland security is essentially saying that they don't really even get into that. They said that they re- they release a national terrorism alert, uh, bulletins all the time that describes some of the protests of the Atlanta facility exhibiting characteristics of domestic violent extremists, but no individuals or organizations are named. Their statement says, the Department of Homeland Security does not classify or designate any groups as domestic violent extremists. Right. So something that I was not aware of, you know, I was asked to speak a lot about the arrest in the days afterwards Mm. as a former prosecutor. Mm. And I talked about on its face, the statutes looked unconstitutional. I had a lot of questions about the legality of the arrest. But something I was unaware of is that during the civil rights movement, a lot of the organizations were called terrorist organizations mm-hmm. and were investigated as such. And so there's a historic pattern here of basically calling your political yep. enemies terrorists. And as I said last time I was on your show, I truly believe that Chris Carr is going to run for governor. And what he wants on his campaign signs is that he took down a terrorist organization. And here we have the feds clearly saying 
no, you didn't. J. Edgar Hoover's FBI was famously a tool, a weaponized tool against the civil rights movement. And the FBI, in this article, uh, cites that they too do not and cannot designate domestic terrorist organizations. It is also important to note that membership in groups that espouse domestic extremist ideology is not illegal in and of itself. Membership in a group alone is not sufficient basis for a domestic terrorism investigation. Right. And I think one of the things I want to point out for your listeners is that basically the administration, and really I mean the Kemp administration because these are statewide entities Mm -hmm. that are mostly doing the investigating and arresting here. They have two choices at this point. They can back down. They can say this is not a terrorist organization. Um, They can dismiss some of the charges. They can stop the investigation. Or they can continue to make arrests because one of the messages I have is that police send messages, prosecutors send messages through arrests. Mm -hmm. And simply by arresting more and more people, you then get to control the narrative. And that narrative is that this is a big entity, that this is um, well-funded, organized, sophisticated. And people, regular Joes on the street, if they hear 40, 50, 60 people were arrested, Mm -hmm. to them that is a terrorist organization, even if the feds are saying it's not. And so unfortunately, what I think we're going to see is more and more arrests in order to justify this terrorist narrative. I hope you're wrong. I'd, I'd really like to see just in, in an effort to tamp this down, uh, a note of contrition. You know what? We were wrong. We overstepped our bounds. It's something along those lines. When you've got now the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI saying, uh, where is this coming from? We don't, we don't lob that sort of label out to organizations or people. And now you've got uh, Senator Warnock asking uh, uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas to look into this. This this is just an opportunity for some overzealousness at the state level to to just, you know, confess you were wrong about this, that you overstepped and backed down and, and you got your money. Now let's just move on. Yeah, I was watching, like, actually just this sort of an interested bystander. I was watching this, the zoning hearing where they were discussing sort of the concerns about environmental destruction and Mm. the cop city site. Mm -hmm. And the lawyer for the Atlanta Police Foundation said something that really, like, chilled me to my bones. He said, this is the most watched construction site in the the nation, in in Georgia, right? Mm. And he was saying, and we're doing everything right. And I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is the most watched construction site. And you're being accused of violating all sorts of environmental regulations. And I feel the same way about the policing in this case, which is this is an opportunity for police who, by the way, want this giant $90 million, $100 million training facility They want it and they should be on their best behavior showing us what they can do. And instead, they are turning in warrants that have typos, including the wrong date. And one of the Solidarity Fund protesters that was arrested, she was disabled. They weren't able to give her proper medical care. She was kept in uh, solitary confinement. And they knew they were investigating her for months and they didn't plan for that. Mm. And so the lack of planning is not by accident. And they could really be making the case that this is better and smarter and more sophisticated policing. And they don't feel like they need to be doing that messaging. And that's deeply concerning to me. Yeah, no, you, you, you nail it on the head. I mean, the, the way this entire process has been handled is not exactly exemplary of the manner in which they want to portray a progressive and uh, civilian-friendly police force <laughs> while they're also jamming this down uh, voters' throats and arresting people for bookkeeping issues 
and calling them terrorists and doing so? Right. And I think that they have a narrative that they're trying to sell us. And I think that that narrative is falling apart. And you and I both hope that they see that and they walk away from it. But unfortunately, I think it's going to cause them to double down. And it genuinely makes me concerned about what tactics we're going to see next. And I will, if you'll let me, I'll I'll sort of transition to sort of a related topic and um, like sort of talk about tactics generally in the movement. Let's do this. I do have to take a quick break for the America One Radio folks, and we'll come back and we'll pick up on that conversation right where we left off. We're with Alex Joseph. She is a former state and federal prosecutor, former U.S. attorney, and she is giving us the update on the Cop City Vote movement. And the recent headline that the AJC, of all people, ran with, Tia Mitchell, way to go, that there was no DHS designation for domestic terrorism behind the arrests last week. You're listening to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Back after this. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at RonShowATL.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Wednesday. Earlier today, press conference, the Cop City Vote Movement is now afoot and on social media and uh, they're hoping to get a referendum going uh, following a similar scenario that played out in southeast coastal Georgia, Camden County, as a matter of fact. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. In the meanwhile, we're on the phone with Alex Joseph, who is a former state federal prosecutor. Uh, we reached out to her last week after the arrest of the three Atlanta Solidarity Fund volunteers. You had another point you wanted to make before I had to go to break. Well, it was actually about the referendum that you just mentioned. So I'm also one of the attorneys volunteering my time to the referendum efforts because Mm -hmm. after I left the U.S. attorney's office, I went into private practice Mm -hmm. and I now represent cities and counties when they get sued. And so I've been so excited about the referendum, but, you know, I've never been involved in a campaign. I've never been involved in fundraising for a campaign. And I just want to speak to the chilling effects of these Kemp uh, car arrests, especially the Solidarity Fund arrests, mm. because it never occurred to me that these organizations that are giving us, you know, time, money, their email lists, they're concerned they're going to be targeted mm-hmm. just for supporting a referendum. And keep in mind that we are basing our referendum campaign on, as you said, a recent referendum in Camden County, Georgia. And I am in close communication with the woman who ran that referendum. And they did not have these type of concerns that their donors would be targeted, that Mm. they would be investigated for, you know, charity fraud. And so here is a group of voters that want to put the issue on the ballot, the most direct democracy type action you can do. Mm -hmm. And they are concerned that they're going to be called criminals. And it's so chilling and so fascinating to watch because even if the indictments are thrown out, even if everyone that's been arrested is released and vindicated, I want to just be clear, there are still so many chilling impacts on democracy here. Do you think the arrest, though, may actually bring folks out of the woodwork that we weren't expecting to come off the sidelines before? I think so. Um, I really have been stunned in the last two weeks in particular. I have encountered a whole older generation of protesters, specifically the like presidential parkway um, Mm. group. 
they have come out in mass and shown support because they did face these tactics. And I think that they really thought they could sit on the sidelines. They had done their part, you know, and they, the presidential parkway was successful. It was also a citizens group that gathered together. Some of them used extremist means and they were able to stop the construction of an interstate running through Decatur. And they have reached out in mass. You know, many of them are retired. Um, some of them are like former legislators. And they are really throwing their support behind this. And then behind the scenes, um, you know, we think that the Democrats of Georgia are finally going to come out and get behind this. And we're just so enthusiastic because they recognize that an attack on organizing is not going to go well for the Democrats in Georgia. And so finally, I think they're seeing the writing on the wall that this is not something that they are isolated from. It's so funny you mentioned that because it was weeks before even the arrests that I I went on my show and I said, guys, the 2024 election's like, we're in it. We're, we're essentially in it. Candidates are, are, are putting themselves on ballots. Georgia is one of those purple states that is a swing state that could determine the outcome of the 2024 presidential election. And uh, dispossessing some voters in a heavily blue area of the state it's scary. And we, we saw statements finally from uh, Reverend Senator Warnock and Senator Ossoff over the weekend after the arrests. Uh, I, listen, I, I'm of the opinion that nothing they can say short of Stop Cop City is going to please folks who are against the public safety training facility. But it's at least encouraging to see that they have their attention has been gotten as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Kemp, after he's done being governor, wants to run right. for senator. I think he sees himself as a successor to Johnny Isaacson and not to steal a line, but I knew Senator Isaacson and he is no Senator Isaacson. <laughs> um, and so I think that they need to come out against this because the other side is using it and they see it for what it is, which is a turning point. And so many groups are galvanized because of this issue. They fear the environmental devastation, the government misinformation. Um, they fear the over-policing of our communities. So, so many different groups are coming together and they're getting to know each other. They're organizing together and we're going to be a force. And I think we're going to, step one is going to be the referendum. And step two is a lot of politicians are going to have to show where they were in the South Cop City issue if they want our support. We're with uh, former state federal prosecutor, Alex Joseph. Alex, tell us how this referendum situation is going to work. What's the time frame? How many signatures do they have to get? When when will the vote actually occur if they get enough signatures? How does this all play out? It's a little nutty. It's kind of fun. So today <laughs> we turned in the petition, petition, which is basically a rough draft. We're saying, hey, clerk's office, this is what we think should go on the ballot. Mm -hmm. The clerk then has to certify it. They have a seven-day timeline to do so. Okay. We anticipate that they will approve it. Then on the 15th, bam, like a shotgun, we have to start collecting signatures. We have to collect 70,000 signatures, 15% of registered voters right. in 60 days. So August 15th. And then we turn it over to city council. They're going to argue with us about which signatures they accept, mm. which they don't accept. And then it goes on the November 7th ballot. Uh, we do expect legal challenges. We've hired attorneys, compliance attorneys, elections attorneys. And then also we expect that, you know, the campaign itself is going to be a real turning point. So we're going to have to get up. It's not just about the signatures, right? We're looking ahead. We're going to have to get out the vote. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and we're just really excited. Um, oh, and people have asked about when we're going to file an injunction, which would stop the ongoing construction. Uh -huh. And we will do that when we have enough signatures to show a likelihood of success um, on the merits of the petition. So once we've collected about 50,000 signatures, which is more than half, mm -hmm. we will file a motion in court asking the construction to be stopped. So for those who have questions, these have to be City of Atlanta registered voters, correct? That's right. And not only City of Atlanta registered voters, but you have to have been registered in the last election. So unfortunately, no new voters. Oh, wow. Uh, is this going to be daunting? Is it going to, is it possible? It is going to be daunting. I really do think it's possible. I will say far smarter people that have run far bigger campaigns than me have said it's possible. So rely on them, but not me. Um, I think that the 60 days is actually going to help us, even though it's the most daunting time limit there is, because I think that everyone knows like this is it like, you know, go, go, go. And so I there's young organizers in town. There's college students that are choosing to stay mm. in town for the summer and just the level of support. And we're not just relying on volunteers. We're hiring people with expertise. We're hiring canvassers. And so. I saw a great Reddit post that was like, well, I don't know if they can get the signatures, but I do know they're going to ask me for my signature five times on the belt line. I was like, you know what, sir? It's a, <laughs> it's a good prediction. That's so. true, yeah. Uh, so again, to reiterate, this cannot be one of those scenarios where you can rush and register to vote and then sign this petition. You have to already be registered from the last election cycle, right? That's correct. And they may they made that change actually after the Stacey Abrams elections mm -hmm. or campaigns. It's a it's one more way to sort of crack down on who can and who is eligible to vote. So it's it is meant to sort of suppress votes. Uh, there's some irony in that. Um, I, I guess another question I had, maybe you do or don't know the answer to this. I, I wasn't even aware. What are we voting on in November of 2023? See, you're asking the good questions. Very few people ask me that. They're just pumped. So we are voting to break the lease. So the original contract, which was a law, an ordinance that was passed that allowed the mayor to enter into a lease, mm. that is what we are breaking. And why I tell everyone to look at Camden County is it's the exact same set of facts, except it's a county. So there the county commissioners voted to approve a law that gave the county commissioner um, approval to enter into a, there was a sale of land. So to enter into a purchase or a sale agreement where developers could purchase a piece of land to build a spaceport. Mm -hmm. And the Georgia Supreme Court said, yes, voters can cancel contracts. They can reach through an ordinance to get to the contract underneath it and cancel it through a referendum. And that's the exact mechanism, the exact lever that we're attempting to pull here. Okay, you answered another question I had completely, but I was actually thinking more along the lines of what are we going to the polls already for November 7th anyway? Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, so that's we're okay. We're going for an education. Um, it, so it's a school board race. Yeah. And we are very excited that it's a school board race because we think that there are natural connections between you know, this money should have been spent on schools mm. and the stopping the project. So we think that that group of voters will be particularly sympathetic 
to um, our cause. And so that's why we're shooting for the November 7th ballot. Okay. Well, that makes complete sense. Okay. I was just wondering, I was like, man, is there another election in November of this year? Oh my God. And then, it's, you know, I preach all the time, show up to every election, show up to every election. I just wasn't well, aware. Yeah, you, I'll be calling you back in November to make sure you're preaching <laughs> every time. So. Oh no, I appreciate that. All right. Alex Joseph, thanks for joining us. Thanks for giving us the update uh, on the, uh, the, well, not now it's not the stop cops. It's the cop city vote movement. Is that where we're transitioning yeah, it's to? Actually now positive. We want you to vote yes on the referendum. So it's like, yes to break the lease. All right. Thank you for joining us and giving us an update. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I promise I want to talk about other stuff, y'all, but the stories just keep breaking. I gave you Chris Christie at the first segment. What do you want? Anyway, one more segment of The Ron Show, and we're back in just a few minutes here on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of The Ron Show for Wednesday. <laughs> a lot to digest still more news coming from the uh cop city saga right so this morning the cop city vote organizers and that's a new social media campaign in and of itself there's a cop city vote on twitter and instagram and i'm sure they'll expand that beyond well maybe they won't i don't know uh nonetheless we spoke last two segments with one of their organizers a volunteer attorney actually Uh, Alex Joseph, who says that they need to get 60,000 signatures to have this referendum on the November ballot to let the Atlanta citizens weigh in on whether or not the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility will be built. So I'm going to give you some of the audio from that press conference earlier today, if you'll take a listen. Calling for a ballot initiative for the people to decide and to vote on ending this lease to stop Cop City. Yes. So I want to stress, as we are speaking, the referendum is being filed with the city clerk's office. The city clerk at this stage is an administrative body. It has no decision making over this, except to make sure that the resolution itself meets the legal standards, which it does. They have seven days to approve it without any input from the city council because we're watching them, without any input from the mayor's office because we're watching them. Like good organizers, we're lawyered up, ready for the fight. So after that, we then have 60 days to gather a little over 70,000 signatures to get this on the ballot for the November election. And at that election, We will do all that is possible to make sure that the city of Atlanta, the people of Atlanta, come out and vote to shut down Cop City. Clarity, right? That's important. Um, I'm super excited uh, to introduce our next speaker, uh, Gary Spencer from the Legal Defense Fund, uh, who's going to walk us a little bit through process and timeline. Um, And so, yes, Gary, please join us. And I promise we're not going to go to law school. (laughs) Good morning. I'm Gary Spencer from the Legal Defense Fund, and we are going to start the process of collecting more than 75,000 signatures because we believe the We're going to start the process of collecting more than 75,000 signatures because we want the will of the people to be heard. We are not going to be intimidated by intransigent public officials. 
who attempt who have attempted to intimidate people, uh, who have attempted to arrest folks. We will not be intimidated. And so we're going to take our fight to the ballot box. And we believe we will win. Thank you. There's no world where our community won't use all of the tools that are available to us to build the Atlanta that we feel like our families deserve. And so there is protest, right? There are a number of things that we have access to in the democratic process, and a referendum is one of them. We look forward to seeing y'all in November. Um, and now I have the great pleasure of introducing Scarlett uh, from the Working Families Party. Good morning, everyone. My name is Scarlett Mayoralgo. That's Scarlett with two T's and M-A-Y-O-R-A-L-G-O -O for my last name. Um, I'm here representing Georgia Working Families Power. Georgia Working Families Power is an advocacy organization that works to elect progressive champions up and down the ballot and hold them to a working families platform. Um, Essentially, we're bold in our effort to make democracy work for the many and not the elite few that we see currently dominating Atlanta City Council. Um, so now to brass tacks, um, it's actually unfortunate that we're here today. Um, I, along with hundreds of other Atlantans, were in City uh, Hall until the early hours of the morning on Monday. I guess that's actually Tuesday. And we were at City Hall hoping that we could appeal to the people that we elected to represent us. Um, I want to be very clear that we hired them to do a job and they have failed us. Um, overwhelmingly, the Atlantans that we have canvassed do not want Cop City. Many of them are not aware of the planned site at all. That should concern you. When they do know, when they find out about Cop City, they are nervous and they are anxious. And they are rightfully mistrustful of their elected officials in this moment. Um, we already know that the Atlanta watershed is deeply polluted, specifically in South DeKalb. Um, and more than that, partially due to neglect. Uh, we know that the construction will exacerbate the current pop pollution that we are aware of. And as the trees go, the water, the soil, the integrity of the land goes. And I want to be very clear that the children of Atlanta deserve better than this. The children of Thomasville Heights Elementary, the, ch the children of McNair High School deserve better than this. Not only will they inherit this legacy, they will inherit this land. What are we leaving our children with? Um, <sighs> we also know that police militarization is a real threat to our black communities. Black Atlantans are 14%, 14 times more likely than white Atlantans to be arrested in our city. That should be a chilling fact. Our previous canvassing efforts, again, have shown that Atlantans don't want a cop city. They want policing alternatives and diversion. They want healthcare facilities in their community that are accessible. And they want mental health and addiction services. Now we're taking it to the people. We're taking it to the ballot so that we can do what our electeds refuse to do, which is vote down cop city. So. Here we are, we're announcing a launch of a robust canvassing operation. We're hitting the pavement, we're knocking doors, and don't be surprised when you see us in your neighborhood, at your block party, at your music festival, activating Atlantans around this issue. 
So we hope that, in conclusion, the council and the elected leadership of the city understand and receive this as a sign that we will do whatever we need to do to make sure the will of the people is the direction in which Atlanta is going. As we move forward, we will be sure to elect people that understand that we act, the government is meant to act in accordance with the people and not the elite few and the corporations that seek to criminalize and surveil Atlantans, not uplift them. Thank you. Thank you, Scarlett. Um, again, we're here because we are concerned about wellness. The wellness of ourselves, our bodies, um, but also our families and our communities. Uh, and we would like to contribute to the ending of violence. And yes, we're talking about state-sanctioned violence and uh, harm that has come to Atlantans at the hands of police and others. But I'm also talking about administrative violence. Yeah. I'm talking about using the levers of power, using the levers of government to thwart the will of the people. Yeah. I'm talking about the idea that we should have submitted the petition minutes ago and that people are playing games. People are choosing to perverse and bastardize the democratic process to thwart the will of the people, right? We're talking about the violence of raising and bulldozing acres of thousands-year-old forest in a city whose nickname at one point began with hot in the middle of a climate crisis. Right. In what world does that make sense? That is violent, right? And so, again, what you are looking at is a broad section of our community who, have actually, who actually have solutions and who are looking for leadership and partnership from our elected officials, people who are accountable to their base, accountable to their constituents, who listen and would make sure and work to make sure that there is no daylight between them the work that they're doing on city council and in the mayor's office and the will and the priorities of the people that they represent. So the blueprint for this referendum happens to be following along with what happened in Camden County, Georgia. Camden County residents overwhelmingly rejected the construction of a spaceport in their coastal area of Georgia. And despite that referendum with overwhelming numbers, the results were challenged all the way to the state Supreme Court. And I imagine that'll happen again. Nonetheless, that blueprint is what the Cop City Vote folks are looking to follow to stop the construction of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility to be built in Southwest DeKalb. So as you heard earlier, there will be more than 70,000 votes collect, uh, voter uh, signatures collected in a petition or at least that's the goal, from June 15th to August 15th, to then have this uh, ballot initiative added to the November 7th ballot. And I want to thank, by the way, uh, I want to thank uh, Alex Joseph for joining us and explaining all this. Uh, we heard this again explained uh, in audio from the press conference earlier today. We will, of course, share all the information from the social media platforms that the uh, Cop City Vote folks have launched today so that you can have that information as well and decide if you want to add your signature to the ballot. Remember, you must be a City of Atlanta resident. You must have been registered to vote in time for the 2022 general election. That means if you registered since then, unfortunately, 
your signature will not count. Now, I think there's some great... You, you should be able to register, however. you In fact, you should always register, but if you haven't registered. You should be able to, and I'm pretty sure this is the case, register to vote in time for the November 7th, 2023 election and still get to vote on it. So there could be a concurrent get-out-the-vote, register-to-vote campaign, but you cannot sign the petition unless you were registered to vote in time for November 2022 elections. Is that making sense? Hopefully so. You can't sign the ballot unless you were registered prior to 2022 November elections, but you can still register to vote for the November 2023 ballot measure. That's it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Past articles, audio, and more, you can find it at ronshowatl.com.